You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. You ever feel this this thing where maybe you have to give instructions to someone, okay? And those instructions, um, it seems very simple until you suddenly start realizing, oh, the one more thing. Oh, oh, wait, there's one more thing. I did this to Joshua when he stayed at our house while we were gone on furlough a couple last year, whenever it was. And, um, you know, I was messaging him like every hour. Oh, yeah, one more thing. Oh, yeah, that thing, one more thing. Don't That thing that looks like it's broken, it's not broken. That's the way it's supposed to be. Um, that's the way I feel right now in my role as pastor of Anchored Baptist Church. I feel like, oh, wait, guys, there's just one more thing. And so forgive me for that. I'm going to do my best to stay organized. Um, But also, I think uh, as we talk about Jesus building his church, and as we hear from God's word about all the tools that he gives to his church in order for God's people to be doing that, what? By his word and through his spirit, or through his word and by his spirit, you decide. Whichever way it goes, all right, uh, we see over and over again some patterns as it relates to to people that God calls to serve, and then specifically the deacons in the church, all right? Now, I'm going to be using a couple different words. I'll use the word deacons. I might slip in a deaconess here or there, and I'll probably say the word diaconate, which I don't know, it just sounds cool to me, um, but it also might not make a whole lot of sense. So when I'm saying these things, I'm talking all about the same group of people, all right? Let me read for us, starting off in Acts chapter 6 this morning, um, because I want to reintroduce us to these deacons, who they are, where they're coming from, and why we have them. As I do that, here's our big idea, and it's a long one, all right? So bear with me. In building his church, Jesus has gifted deacons who remove obstacles to his good news by physically caring for his people. In building his church, Jesus has gifted deacons who remove obstacles to his good news by physically caring for his people. Let me read for us. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. All right, so what's the problem? There's a daily distribution of food and people are being forgotten. Specifically, there's a particular group of people that are being forgotten. Uh, It seems as though widows were the primary receivers of uh, physical care here through food parcels, okay? Now, um, why? It was very difficult for women to survive on their own in the world, all right? Typically, you needed a man to be the head of the household who was out providing and protecting the family. So it was very difficult for women who had lost their husbands. Uh, Yeah, I won't get into all the details, but men were not expected to live long during this time period, okay? It was expected that you worked hard with your hands and you probably died early. And so there were widows. 
the group of widows that was being forgotten about were the Hellenists. These were the more Greek people. These were the non-Jewish people. And maybe some of the uh, less Jewish Jewish Christians, okay? <laughs> um, and the Hebrew women, why? Because they were more well-known probably by the disciples or the apostles at this point. Uh, they were being taken care of. Uh, do we think that there was something fishy going on here where one people group was intentionally being favored over another people group? No, probably not. It was probably proximity, knowledge of who people are, and then also along with that uh, uh, sort of just the, the growing pains of something, all right? So because of these growing pains now, there's a conflict that's come up. So the 12, this is the apostles, summoned a full number of the disciples. So they gathered everyone around and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Said another way, we can't handle all of this. We're too busy, and we're making some mistakes along the way. It is uh, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves some seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. This duty of what? Making sure that everyone is being taken care of in this feeding scheme that they have going on. But we will devote ourselves, this is now the Apostle speaking, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Why did they lay hands on them? To transfer the Holy Spirit magic? No, there was no transfer of Holy Spirit magic. This was a a physical honor given to these men who were going to be these deacons, uh, these servants of the physical needs of the body of Christ. Uh, An honor given to them so that everyone would see that this is a really important role that we've already understood has some consequences, right? And and it needs to be taken seriously. And so we're going to give honor to this role as we place this role on people, as we realize that God has called these people. Now, how did they know that God had called these people? It kind of seems random, right? Like the drawing of, of straws to see who's going to be the next apostle. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? How did they choose these people? Well, we see um, that they were uh, seven good men, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. There you go. So were there more people in that crowd that were probably good people, full of wisdom and the Spirit? Most definitely. Did they just choose the ones that were like standing around and said, hey, you're good, full of wisdom in the Spirit, I'll take you. Maybe. (laughs) Most likely, though, these people had a track record for being known by the people around them as already serving in some kind of way with the apostles. All right, now, here's what happens next then in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, 
and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What in the world just happened? What just happened? How is it that, first of all, we have uh, these 12 disciples, these 12 apostles, and now we're experiencing some growing pains. Things aren't going as smoothly as they did in the beginning when God the Holy Spirit was working in such a way that it was just like thousands. Boom! Disciples. Uh, what, what has happened now? Uh, they seem to have been growing to an extent that there were other needs that were now coming up that the apostles could not handle. In fact, what was it doing? It was getting in the way of the proclamation of the Word, the ministry of the Word. This is um, specifically what they say, prayer and then ministry of the Word. Guys, this would be anything Word-related. This would be preaching. This would be going around and praying for others. Maybe this means leading and song. Maybe all the things that we do on a Sunday morning. Everything that we do in a gathering, right? The Lord's Supper, all that stuff. That stuff was now beginning to be neglected, and the apostles realized we can't let that happen. There were now things standing in the way of the good news of Jesus getting out of the church doors. And this is not what the apostles wanted because they knew that this is not what Jesus wanted, right? What did Jesus tell them? Go to all nations, (laughs) baptizing them, right? Okay, all right, so something had to change, and they chose these deacons, these servants of the physical needs of the church. And what happens when these people are assigned this role, called to this role? Hey, and I'm going to be using this word calling a lot. Okay. Now, there's some ways that we could think about this. Um, there's both an inward calling... We have all experienced this. At least I'm pretty sure all of us have. I think that we all have. And this is where um, God the Holy Spirit is working in you uh, to seek you out and to save you. All right? Now, we can also have that inward calling in in other ways. Like those times where you just think, okay, I, I really need to stop for a second and just pray about this situation or pray for this person. Or that person over there, I've seen that person before. And I, I know that I need to go and help this person. Yeah? We've all sensed that inward calling at some point. Uh, usually that inward calling, though, doesn't just happen mysteriously or magically. It has to be fed by the Word of God. How do we know that we help someone in need? Oh, because we're good people. Mm, sometimes we're good people, and other times we're awful people. So where's the inward calling then? Look, you need to be fed that inward calling. You get fed that inward calling by the Word of God. So that when, um, and we'll read it here in just a couple of minutes, but Paul, Peter, John, when they tell the church that they need to be looking out for the poor, the widow, the orphan, so on and so forth, the outsider, those in need, This is feeding that inner calling where God the Holy Spirit is now going to be working in you, reminding you of God's Word and the way that it is acted upon you. But then there's also this outward calling. And this is where the collective wisdom and experience of God's people comes together. I'm going to let Tim talk about that. I'm not going to step on the congregation this week. All right, But these 
uh, disciples here who are becoming deacons have experienced an outward call. Where the apostles look at them and say, you, 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 and you. You are needed. In fact, you are important and necessary. Anchored Baptist Church. That's what the apostles are saying to these deacons who are being called up for service. Um, I put I put a lot of emphasis on that outward call. Uh, I think that that outward call is really important uh, for a couple of different reasons. One of them, though, is because uh, that outward call really shows the body of Christ coming together, understanding together that they have a need, and also understanding that God has equipped them already to meet that need. That God has given them exactly what they need to start addressing the problems that have arisen. This is what happens when the whole number of the disciples are called together. This is them coming together and understanding, oh, wait a second, this isn't something for us to fight about. This is actually, it's not something for us to think, well, that widow over there got something and I didn't. Or, hey, can you believe this? Can you believe that the apostles are favoring this person over this person? Clearly this person has a lot more need. No, no, no. This is a time for God's people to draw together and to say, okay, we've made some mistakes along the way. We see that there's a need. Now how can we best address this need? Now, I do have some questions about these these deacons, though. These disciples that were chosen for a role of service in the church. Um, And some of those questions revolve around, how did the apostles know that they were supposed to be setting up an office, like a, a specific role in the church? Well, I think from Scripture, we can honestly say they didn't. Okay, <laughs> In a certain way, they didn't know exactly what they were supposed to be doing. But they did have commands from Christ that these women that they were serving, those were people that they were supposed to be taking care of. They also knew that God had equipped them both with wisdom and with a whole lot of people standing around them that they had been equipped to deal with with this issue. As we, if we were to go back to the very beginning of Scripture, um, we would see uh, in creation, all right? What, what was Adam created to do? Now, we're not to the be fruitful and multiply yet. Don't jump there. I know everyone wants to jump to be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, what's that? Look after the garden, right? He, he's actually been called to be a good steward and to serve God by working that garden. And then, and then Eve comes along. And what was Eve called to do by God? Created to do, and therefore called to do by God. To help Adam, right? So here, at the very beginning, our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, are called to be helpers. They're called to be helpers. Now, we know what happens after that, right? Um, We rebelled against God. 
And yet, even in the midst of our rebellion, um, that rebellion was going to cause all the problems that we now need to address as a church, right? That we see in the world around us. But even in the midst of that, God is actually going to come in now and he's going to be a helper to Adam and Eve. Think about that for a second. Because God, throughout all of the history of his people, up until this very day, has constantly been a helper to his people. God the Holy Spirit, what is God the Holy Spirit described as by Jesus himself? A helper. What did, we, what did we read this morning from, from Philippians chapter 2? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I don't know what you call that other than that, that, that like astounding humility from Jesus but being your greatest helper that you could have ever asked for. Jesus is serving you here in ways that we can barely begin to understand. And from the very beginning too, what does God do? He makes the first sacrifice on our behalf. He sheds blood for us to cover over the sin of Adam and Eve and to cover their nakedness. What is Jesus doing when he's doing that? He's providing for their, or what is, sorry, uh, I'm jumping to conclusions there, although I think it's true. What is God doing when he makes that sacrifice on behalf of Adam and Eve? He is attending to their physical needs. Uh, David, you used the term uh, last week, or maybe it was Charlene, sorry, you guys have melded together. I don't know who's who. One flesh, thank God. Um, Mercy ministry. Jesus, uh, God is acting in a merciful way to his people. He's doing mercy ministry right now. We see uh, these helper roles pop up all the time uh, throughout the life of God's first people, Israel. Joseph, what was he most well known for in Egypt other than being able to understand dreams? Man, this guy set up a feeding scheme like you never could have understood. Um, like this... And wait, wait a second, wait a second. What are, the, what are the, the, these disciples that are set aside as deacons doing in Acts chapter 6? They're setting up a feeding scheme. Hey, what was Jesus doing with the disciples in the passage that Joshua read for us this morning? Setting up a feeding scheme. Man, you would almost think that these feeding schemes were really important, hey? You would almost think that God had some greater purpose in feeding people. You know, like perhaps if if Joseph were to help Egypt be fed, there would be at least for a time a safe harbor for God's people to grow significantly in. Right? Then they were enslaved, but even still, they had a piece of land that was set aside for them there. They were treated horribly, but God cared for them in the midst of it, and then he set them free. Or, or what about Jesus with the disciples there feeding the 5,000? What, what, was, what, was what was the real problem? It was They were in a desolate place. They were in the wilderness, just like God's first people, Israel, when they were out in the wilderness. And the disciples are looking around and they're saying, hey, Jesus, great sermon and all, 
But I think we kind of need to wrap this thing up. Uh, I'm hungry. They're hungry. You don't want to be around with a bunch of hangry people for the rest of the evening. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You feed them. In fact, uh, what do they do? They seem to organize a feeding scheme where the disciples are now the deacons. Oh, man. Maybe, just maybe, they learn something from Jesus. Sometimes it doesn't always seem like it. But God the Holy Spirit did call back to mind everything that Jesus had taught them too, didn't He? And, and so here, uh, here we see those same uh, disciples, those apostles, setting up a feeding scheme just like uh, what Jesus did out in the wilderness on the day of that sermon. Um, we all know that in the Old Testament, God's people were called to social goods, that they were supposed to be taking care of one another. More often than not, we also know that they didn't, and yet it was something that they were called to do. Uh, we see that uh, it, both in Deuteronomy and then in Leviticus, Deuteronomy chapter 15, and in Leviticus chapter 25, that... Um, you had offerings that were made at the temple and something that we now translate as tithes. I'm not going to get into that today. But simply to say that there were gifts that were brought to the temple to be dispersed amongst God's people. And it wasn't just finances. In fact, we read there in Deuteronomy that sometimes those finances were used to buy tools so that people could go out and work. Uh, sometimes those finances were used to purchase land so that people could have a land to work. That's a lot more complex than what I can even begin to comprehend. But this is the way that God had set up His people in the past. Throughout all of Jesus' ministry... Oh, hold on. Why would God call His first people to do that? And, and why do it from the temple? Well, one, we know that all good things come from God. All good gifts come from Him. So what a great picture it is to have those things flowing from the synagogues and from the temple. But, but also, um, you know what? If you are overworked, uh, not fed, not sleeping, don't have a place to lay your head, how easy is it to wake up and make it to synagogue on time? <laughs> how easy is it to hear God's Word? It's difficult. How easy was it going to be when all of the people started leaving Jesus' sermon on that day when He fed the 5,000, when everyone was, uh, their, their tummies were grumbling so much they couldn't hear with their ears anymore? How easy was it going to be for people to keep on coming into that early church to hear the Gospel when people looked around and said, look at these people, they're just like the rest of the world. They don't care about the people around them. So this is why these good gifts were flowing out of, uh, out of, in Israel's case, the temple, the synagogue. In Jesus' ministry, we see it over and over and over again. Yes, Jesus does miracles to show that He is the Messiah. And you know what? Jesus also seems to do miracles to heal people of their sickness so that He can forgive them of their sins too. For Jesus, these two things mingle. They're not totally separate from one another. He wants to remove the obstacle and He wants to give someone the forgiveness of their sins. 
throughout the life of the early church, and we, we could spend a lot of time on this because there's actually so many commands in the New Testament about how the church is supposed to care for, for um, those people uh, who, who call the, those churches homes, uh, call those churches home, but also for the people, uh, our neighbors around us. Uh, there's too many commands to list off. Uh, but let me let me just try to pull up here from from John one John chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What is John telling us here? Look, we can go around talking about all the love that we have for someone, but at some point, we actually have to show the love, right? I could wake up every day and tell Tara, Ah, T, I love you so much. Why don't you go make me a cup of coffee? Ah, T. Oh, man, that was a great dinner you made. I hope you have fun doing the dishes. Love you. I could do that. But at a certain point, I would hope Taro gets wise and says, eh, I think you're going to need to prove that word to me, Wade. Right? What? Because that would be, as John here puts it, acting in a truthful way. If I'm always talking with word and never showing with deed, then I'm actually just being dishonest is what I'm doing. And this is exactly what um, God has, what Jesus has called his church to, and what the, the, the apostles were seeing there in Acts chapter 6. That there are needs that must be met. We can't just talk about it in word only. Or in their case, and this happens in, in churches all the time, is that we don't want to forfeit the word. And so what do we do? And we know this in South Africa. The needs are great. The needs are extraordinary. The needs are oppressive. And so what do we do? We just put our nose to the Word because there are so many needs out there. How in the world are we ever going to meet a single one of them? If we can't meet all of them, why should we even try? I'm an all or nothing type of person. And, and that is oftentimes the mentality that I have towards all of life, not just this thing. It's a danger that the church faces. Anchored, it's a danger that we face. We have to be careful about this. We don't want to just be speaking in, in, uh, in words, uh, but we want to make sure that we are acting with deeds and therefore living a truthful life and therefore not getting in the way of God's Word. Today, I don't want to go into a whole lot of depth about, um, about what is the specific role of a deacon. That's actually something we've talked about several times, many times before. I don't want to get into the qualifications. Uh, we've talked about that before. We can, we can talk about it again at another time because Paul sets out some other qualifications. Maybe not other. It's the same as what we read about in Acts chapter 6, just a little bit more specific so that we're not constantly having to um, recreate the wheel, as it were, all right? 
Paul sets, sets aside some things for us. Um, l- l- let me dive for just a minute into uh, a little bit of church history as well. Because I don't know what kind of church background you've had before, if you've had church background, if it's been uh, diverse, if it's been, uh, uh, maybe you've just been in in one lane your entire life, and so you think of deacons and you think about the people that like repaint the building once a year, or you think about the people that argue about what color the floors are going to be, or you think about, I don't know what you're thinking about, okay? Um, Throughout church history... And in the life of different church bodies, deacons have definitely played different kinds of roles. Uh, in the early church, we talked about this, uh, this document. Um, it's a book. It's kind of the first book of, of um, hey, this is how you do church together, called the Didache or the Teachings of the Twelve. And in that book, you have laid out for you exactly what deacons, who they are and what they're supposed to be doing. Frankly, it's just an echo of Acts chapter 6, and then Paul's requirements of deacons. They do go into a little bit more detail about in their time and their place needs that would arise. All right? But throughout the early church, what you see is the church sticking mostly to Scripture. Um, however, there were seasons where deacons were doing different types of things. For instance, maybe the feeding scheme wasn't always the most important thing. Maybe there was a good harvest that year and everyone was well fed. Maybe it was another issue. Maybe there wasn't enough clothing to go around. And there had to be clothing drives and clothing collections from church to church to make sure that those needs were met. Uh, You see that seasonally in the early church. Maybe there were medical needs. And so some of the deacons that were called up to bat were actually more like medical doctors. Okay, You see that happening in the early church as well. It wasn't ever a constant. In fact, the role itself was very flexible. This also led to some problems later on where the deacons were no longer serving the church body, uh, but especially going into like the 500s, 600s, deacons were now just serving the, the, uh, the pastors, essentially. Uh, they were helping the pastors do research and making sure that all of the, the stuff was set up in the church and then physical needs weren't being met at all. And it really wasn't, again, until like the 14, 1500s that deacons took on their biblical role again. And yet, those old ghosts of the way that things had been done poorly in the past, those clung on for a really long time. Now, in the Baptist tradition, uh, what was always supposed to be the case was something like we could read about in the Didache that deacons were there to serve the physical needs of the church. In fact, in our church's statement of faith, let me pull it out here. I'll pull out two things, actually. Uh, Both uh, a little document that we've often used here to talk about how we organize as a church. And and this is is what I uh, wrote in that document. Deacon literally means servant. Someone who serves the physical needs and life of the church, which are not separate, from the spiritual needs and life of the church. When deacons serve well, they serve the whole body and spiritually encourage the whole body. In the life of Anchored Baptist Church, deacons are to be commended by the elders and designated by who? You guys, the congregation. 
These roles are established when the overall shepherding work of the elders is diminished without them. And anchored, that's been a long time coming because my overall uh, word work has been diminished without deacons. Anchored Baptist Church, you need deacons. <laughs> Not just now, but moving forward especially because it's going to be easy to let things get in the way of the word. Um, here's what we read in our church's confession of faith or our, our statement of faith. The only necessary scriptural officers, officers, very official language, not like uh, you don't have to wear a badge or anything like that, and you definitely don't get a gun. Uh, But um, the only necessary scriptural officers or roles are elders or pastors and deacons. Those qualifications, claims, and duties, uh, that is, responsibilities, and uh, exactly what you're called to are defined in the New Testament. And so, uh, again, we can talk about that again at another time. All right, so Anchored Baptist Church. Um, I, there's actually a whole lot more that I could do. Uh, I'm trying to think if I want to do much else right now. Let, let, me, let me just talk for a second about some of the specifics uh, the last couple of weeks in, in the 9 a.m., we have uh, spoken about what are some focuses that deacons at Anchored Baptist Church need to be looking at. And um, I've got that written down. I'll send that out to everyone in the next couple of weeks as we consider uh, those roles more seriously. Um, and yet, I'll give you, for instance, um, Graham and Jeanette, uh, and I'm very grateful for you. Help me each and every week with the Lord's Supper table. Uh, this is a great service to our church because um, Tara was always telling me, Wade, you need to let someone else do that. And I was so stubborn, frankly, because I just hate to plan ahead, that I was willing to do that each and every week because, one, I love doing it, right? But I realized what I had also done in that is, um, for instance, I love serving people the Lord's Supper because... This is a ministry of the Word. We actually believe that this is a physical way that God is delivering His Word to you, as it were. And so, the whole thing seemed like, oh, this is my role. I have to do this thing. And yet, Tara helped me out with this. Thanks, T. I appreciate it. And Graham and Jeanette have helped me out every week since forever now. I can't even remember how long. And um, it's been a huge blessing because I don't have to worry about that. That's just there for you each and every week. And I get to continue on with that ministry of the Word. It's a small thing, I think. There is, I think it's a small thing. And it's also a really big thing. It's a really big thing. I mean, you've seen how many troubles I had with the slides already this morning. I don't know what's going on with the slides. Uh, I, it's, it's, this thing's a mystery box for me. And yet, and yet um, if I was worrying about that and the slides and everything else, uh, it, it gets in the way of everything. Yeah. Or one of, you know, one of the things I love doing is I love setting up chairs. I love setting up chairs because, hey, actually, can I get a raise of hands here? Your first week at Anchored Baptist Church, did you come in and say, ooh, look at those chairs? Anyone that said that, please go ahead and raise your hand. No? 
Oh, oh, a knife to the heart. No, I don't expect you to think that. In fact, I hope that you don't notice the chairs when you walk in on a Sunday morning. Why? Because they're orderly and set up and you can find a place. I want those chairs to be one of, other than that doorway. I want those chairs to be your first place of welcome at Anchored Baptist Church. To know that you have a seat here. If I were to come in and just throw these chairs down, you would have walked in and said, what in the world is going on with these chairs? Right? I don't want you to come to church and think, wow, nice chairs. Or, ugh, chairs. I want you to come and say, I wonder what they're doing here. So those chairs, small as it may be, I love doing it. I'm going to miss setting up these chairs each and every week. And yet, for someone here, that's going to be your job each and every week. And you know what? It's a really good gift that you give to the church. It seems small. They're lightweight plastic chairs. And yet, it's huge. Because none of you have ever walked in and noticed the chairs and think, wow, the organization and organization of these chairs, I know that's the church for me. Yeah? Actually, I think my dad might be the only person that walks in and say something like that. But anyway. Um, there's a million small tasks like that. And yet, there's also uh, so many tasks that uh, for a long time have been the shepherding role of making sure that different needs are being met in the church body and um, anchored long ago outgrew my ability to understand what those needs were. So Anchored Baptist Church, um, you like the early church here, have been already been well-equipped, both with wisdom and with the Holy Spirit, to know exactly what the needs of this body are. And if you're saying to yourself, actually, Wade, I, I don't know. Great. That is God calling you to know what those needs are and how we as a church can meet them. All of it, um, serves not just the body, but it serves one thing in particular, and, and that is that ministry of the Word. To make sure that nothing stands in the way of you or your neighbor hearing the good news about Jesus. So, in building His church, Jesus has gifted deacons who remove obstacles to His good news by physically caring for His people. Let me finish up that passage from Philippians chapter 2 this morning. When He appeared in human form, He humbled Himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God lifted Him to the place of highest honor and gave Him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank You so much that Your Son Jesus did not view Himself as being better than a servant. God, thank You so much that He humbled Himself uh, 
he came in the appearance of a slave and humbled himself to death, a criminal's death, on a cross. Lord, you have called us to serve one another. And Lord, we know that you haven't just called us. You don't call us unless you also equip us or make us ready to serve those around us. God, we here at Anchor Baptist Church know that you have also made us ready to serve one another. Father God, I pray for for each of us this morning that we would be looking around um, and, and through the wisdom that You've equipped us with by Your Word, uh, through the Holy Spirit that we know You have gifted to us and is working in us day in and day out, Lord, we ask that You would open our eyes, that You would soften our hearts, that You would help us to see the needs around us. And Lord, as You do that, Lord, help us to, to, as a church body, see those most necessary needs Help us to meet them and then help us to be again called together under Your Word so that we can be reminded of why it is that we're actually here. And that's to hear the good news of Your Son. Lord, thank You that Your Son Jesus died for us and thank You that Your Son Jesus is building His church, that He is doing it by Your Spirit, and that He's doing it through Your Word. God, in every way, we would be lost without You. Thank You for always being a merciful God who meets us in such a way as to be ready to serve us. Lord, help us as we, as we learned in our psalm this morning to be constantly thankful for that. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.